Hi, I'm Azure Ashby, CPA and creator of the Love Then Money Institute. Each week, I will bring you inside the life of a real couple and their relationship with money in order to help you and your partner master your own relationship with money. We can no longer rely on the taboo of money to justify our avoidance. And we can no longer change the topic when things get real. I believe it's time we take our financial future by the reins and take control of the money conversation. And we do that by actually having the conversation. So get ready to listen, relate, and be inspired to achieve your financial dreams together. Because you know what they say, first comes love, then comes money. So let's do this. Owning a business is a feat in itself. It's like the quintessential part of the American dream, right? You get to be your own boss and make money. However, here's the thing about dreams. They're never quite what you expect them to be. Just because Caitlin and Jenny own their own business together doesn't mean that their money concerns are non-existent. But before we can start looking at solutions or possible fixes to their issues, first we need to get an understanding of their beliefs around money in the first place. We need to understand Caitlin and Jenny's limiting beliefs. For Caitlin, she thought this wasn't limiting herself enough. I had trouble with this one, actually. I feel like I almost like more need to be a little bit reined in than I do need to be free of my rope. I like money for the freedom that it provides. So I like to have a store of it in case there's something to do. I think about not wanting to work forever, but I kind of balance not wanting to work forever with not wanting to overwork in my possibly limited time here on earth either. What holds me back? I'm not really sure, but if I had to pick something, I guess I'd say I'm held back by the idea that the next thing always needs to be happening. But is that getting held back? I feel like I'm always too much in the future, and that's kind of a different thing. We're well on our way to our financial goals, and we're having fun doing it. I think you have a good point of as far as like, is that getting held back? So you're kind of always thinking about the next thing that's going to happen. But I think what you said, too, is thinking so much into the future and constantly planning, does that make it so that you're not, I know you as a person, so I know you're like a live in the moment type of person, but you know what I mean? Like from a financial standpoint, how does that affect what's happening or does it? I don't know. I almost feel like it's more so not giving myself to time to just enjoy what we've accomplished. Right. Because you're too worried about like what the next step is, what the next thing is, what the next, 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 and kind of growing, 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 because you're thinking about, okay, oh, we could do this and this is how it could affect our future and blah, 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 right? I already have things like lined up, like after this thing that hasn't even begun to happen yet, (laughs) next comes this, and then after that comes this. I don't think worry is the right word. Right. But it's like that. She's right. It's not really worry. Where do you think that comes from? It comes from my personality, which I'm a little restless. I like to have new projects. I'm like afraid of stagnation or something. I like to be moving all of the time. Is part of your like vision ever to stop? 
is this your vision for the next like 20 years? Is it your vision? You can't really think of a time when you think you would be ready to just travel the world and enjoy it all? Or like, what do you see in the future? What I see is like five-year chunks kind of, but that sort of all flow into each other. So there's like the business side and then there's the personal side. And on the business side, I see the next logical step being opening this second location, which is a kind of different concept. And then pretty much as soon as that's flowing, open, operating smoothly, I'm going to be turning towards purchasing the building that the original location is in. And that's kind Mm -hmm. of like probably the next five years of business. In the personal, as you know, we moved out of the house across the street and we have tenants in there and now we're living across the street. We purchased this house and my plan is to kind of keep doing that in a couple of years, maybe like five years, move out of this house and purchase a different house and rent this house out. And to answer your question, like, when do I see all those things ending? Oh, like, not to mention when those tenants across the street move out, I want to knock the garage down and build a bigger garage with an apartment upstairs. So there's two leasable properties over there, you know, blah, blah. But when I see all of that stopping is when the passive income stuff is enough that if the businesses failed, we would still be able to survive without having to get jobs. Yeah. Like the idea of ever working for someone else or like having some job again, it's pretty ugly to me. I don't want to do that. And I also don't want to work as much as we're working right now in our business, but our business is awesome. We love what we do and it's successful and we are earning money. And so it makes sense to continue doing that now. But like what retirement looks like for me is like not having to work, but there's still income and that can happen anytime. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I do see a future when like all of that stops. Will I manage to still find projects and things to do? Yes. Will they necessarily be like income related or financial related or business related? No, not necessarily if it's not necessary. But until I feel like if the business fails, we don't have to go to work. I'll probably be chugging along with all with this list of things to tick off. I think that's a great plan, actually. I was more asking the question to make sure that it's not kind of like more of an addiction to like this type of thing, you know what I mean? Like, and that you feel that you could stop one day. Like I have friends who I'm like, okay, what's your number? What's your, you know, when would you stop like being such a workaholic? And they're like, I can't ever see myself stopping. Do you know what I mean? And so it's like, is there going to be a time where you will be able to kind of like cut the reins when you have that passive income that you'd be able to just sit back and enjoy it type of thing, you know? And so that's kind of why I asked the question just to see where you are. And I think that you're being smart about your vision and your tactics. And I think that you're right. I mean, you know, the B is super successful. You guys have built such an awesome name for yourselves in the community. And I think that it only makes sense to give the people what they want from the standpoint of the second location. So, I mean, I I think that what you're doing is super smart. I think your vision is super smart. I think that the steps you're taking to have that passive income in the future are going to get you to the point where you don't have to worry about it going anywhere. I think it's good. I think you guys are heading in the right direction. I mean, you're already part of the way there, but I think you're really heading in the the right direction, which I think is awesome. 
Thanks. You know, I wouldn't say that even now being as obsessed as I am with like having a project and moving towards these passive income goals, I wouldn't call myself a workaholic even now. I mean, I see you guys kind of doing a little bit less death, obviously, definitely from when you first started. And I think the cool thing about you both is that you both want to contribute to people you know and love. The cool thing is that you feel even better, like allocating work out to people because you know, you're helping them and their livelihoods. So it's kind of like an awesome win-win scenario where like you guys are getting to have, you know, a better work-life balance. And you're also helping the people you know and love, which is really cool. Jenny's limiting belief was different from Caitlin's, almost the complete opposite. All right, Jenny, do you want to read yours? Yeah, I'll read mine. Better up. It's a little all over the place. My limiting belief financially is that it's all a shitty, unfair game, and to play it seriously is to support the idea that some people are more deserving of money than others. Like, if I pay attention to it, if I try too hard to make it, it legitimizes this bullshit system. So as much as possible, I don't watch my money. The other limiting belief I have regarding money is similar to the rest of my life. I'm kind of motivated by a fear of losing it all. So acting or not acting out of fear is generally not good. I kind of get stuck. And a feeling about money I have is simply that I don't ever want to be poor again. I don't want to be poor or alone again. And that can be kind of paralyzing rather than a useful (laughs) motivation. And it can make me kind of short myself, shortchange myself and in different aspects of my life. I don't really think ahead that much like that. I do. Yeah. So what does yours in the future look like? You know, I don't really have much of a reason to vision anymore, which is mostly nice because that kind of gives me anxiety. And I know Caitlin cares a lot about the specifics of what that all looks like. And I care less so, which kind of frees me up to just work. I can kind of like see where we're headed and work without doing so much dream casting or whatever. I've never been very like goal oriented or thinking ahead in any real concrete way. So that's why you have me, dear. Yeah, that's why I have her. So I found this so interesting and it kind of plays into like a couple of other areas that you talk about later is kind of like the thought about why am I more deserving or not deserving of having money than others? And so I had a couple of like questions for that. One is how do you feel the universe works in that way? Like, how do you feel, where are you coming from with that? Like, let's talk about that a little bit more. I mean, once you start getting into the idea that you deserve something, it means that the shitty lives other people have been born into and the suffering they're going through is somehow also deserved in some way. I feel like that's a continuum that you can't escape once you start thinking of yourself as deserving things. And because we live in this nation and because we live under capitalism, you know, money is the thing that we need for freedom and power and stuff. It's a game and you ignore it at your peril, you know. Because I don't feel proud of it exactly, making money, but I do enjoy the fruits of it, obviously. It just makes me feel weird. I don't come from a family where money is valued, really. Helping other people is kind of where my family comes from. Although that's very hard to do when you can barely take care of yourself. So I don't know. I feel kind of practical about money, but... It's hard for me to get excited about it because it just seems ridiculous that things that are very valuable in society are underpaid and not really valued. And a lot of the people that have money are the worst people. (laughs) 
but you know, is that answering anything? I just also kind of think money's like a little bit icky. And so we're trying to be careful not to become entitled. And I too come from a family who didn't have a lot of money. Most of, especially on my mom's side of the family, most people still don't. My grandparents are in their 80s and both of them still work. I come from a family though, who is very much like, you work hard for what you get and then what you get is yours kind of a thing. I also come from a family of entrepreneurs who like never figured out how to get their businesses running or doing anything without them. So they have to work themselves to the bone. And then as soon as they stop working, they stop earning. So I think I kind of took all of those things and that shaped my attitude about money in a way where it's not about deserving. It's about like you get out what you put in. And a little bit of that is like how you organize things, how you're able to accept help, how you're able to delegate and trust other people. But Jenny's right too. Like just being like white people in the USA, like we automatically have a little bit more opportunity than a lot of people. And sometimes it just feels like we just can't help but sometimes feel like. Is guilt the right word? Yeah, I think guilt could be the right word. Maybe not as much for me as for Jenny, but. It's not really guilt. It's just kind of like, well, we're gaming this system, but it's still bullshit. (laughs) I mean, a lot of people work really, really hard and do really important things and don't have much or anything to show for it. And sometimes that's like just not fair. But also sometimes like what I see in my family is like with my dad, for example, like he's just not being smart. Like he could have teams of people out doing work for him, making him money. But because he never figured out how to be a good leader, he's been his only employee for 40 years, you know? Yeah. And I think, Jenny, for you, so in general, maybe guilt isn't the right word. I mean, and we'll get to this maybe in the next part of this, but when it comes to like your family specifically, is there any guilt associated with like, do you have any guilt for like being as financially successful as you are currently and like maybe not being able to help them as much as you'd like to, or I don't know, like, is that any of it? No, guilt's not the right word. I don't feel guilty. I'm so grateful to actually be doing something that I can feel good about, that I feel like helps the world. We do something good and we can make money doing it. You know, I didn't want to be in the nonprofit world. I don't want to do what my family does for a lot of reasons. So I'm super stoked to be able to, you know, now I make enough money that I can contribute to my family's causes and employ them if we want to, or if it's necessary. So I don't feel guilty about it at all. And they would never make me feel guilty about it. Inherently, there's nothing fair about it. That's all. Kaylin and Jenny balance each other out in that kind of way, kind of like yin and yang. This kind of balance is helpful in relationships. I absolutely love it. But like all relationships, there are imbalances that are bound to occur. Even though they balance each other out, Caitlin and Jenny can approach the same situations with money differently. Our understandings of money and finances start early on. We see how others around us act, react, and deal with money. When you can't get that toy or box of cereal, or when you can't go on the field trip or movie with your friends, it makes an impact. How your family saves, how your family donates, any actions you viewed growing up around money and finances has influenced your habits. You take these habits into adulthood and sometimes into your relationships. Kaylin and Jenny are aware of these differences and since the beginning of their relationship 
have been communicating ways to handle their finances. I think you guys are pretty much on the same page with this. So I know you guys both like to contribute and give, but is that ever like a point of contention in your relationship? Are you pretty much on the same page about like where it goes, how it goes, how much it goes, like all of that kind of stuff? Do you discuss it? Does one make the decision for a certain amount or certain causes? And then, you know, how does it all work from that standpoint? It can sometimes get a little contentious. Jenny's parents have a saying in their ministry and in their nonprofit that's a hand up, not a hand out. And I kind of feel that way. And that's why I'm so psyched about the Be Good Club, because it's a way for us to use our resources, not necessarily like just handing out money, but being able to rally our community to help people in the community. So that's a resource as well, like the energy and the people that we have. The Be Good Club is the studio's service organization. So it's like our philanthropy club. So that kind of thing I'm really psyched on. And of course, it makes sense to me that when our friends who have nonprofits have events, that of course we're going to go, we're going to bid on auction items, we're going to give monthly to Jenny's parents' ministry, all of those kinds of things get or I accept those things. And also, even when things, I might be a little uncomfortable with that, I can take time, step back, remember, know that it's really important to Jenny and that that's like a big part of her happiness around our success and money. And I'm able to like, even often not say anything, which (laughs) is hard for me. Sometimes, like recently, I wanted to give a bunch of money to something. And because I didn't want to talk about it with Caitlin, I just used my own money. So that's another way that that goes. That's another way that that goes. But when it can get a little bit contentious is like, for example, we're talking about like Jenny and her sisters and like us getting on a mortgage for a house that our parents can stay in when they come home once a year from Africa. And like things that like actually potentially threaten our financial future, that those things can get a little contentious. That's been like a thing that's come up where I'm like, whoa, we're going to need a lawyer. Like, I don't want it to get ugly because our attitudes about our attitudes around giving and like what's enough, what's not enough, where our responsibilities lie, all of that are very different. So I want to be careful not to set something up or do something that's going to make me resentful. Yeah, absolutely. And or, you know, ruin any friendships, relationships, whatever it is in the future with family members or whatever it is. It's good for you guys to talk about not just like the decision itself, but why it's important to each of you. And it sounds like you may do that and you probably already kind of know each other well enough to kind of know why it's important to each other. Or maybe it's, you know, a matter of, okay, instead of giving to the ministry every month, we end up putting the money here or I don't know. So is there, you know, a way to compromise on that? Yeah. I also probably need a little bit more information to get proper advice, but you know, it's having those like thorough discussions as opposed to that kind of encompass like the why and like the, where it's all coming from type of thing from an emotional standpoint that I think would be helpful in kind of getting to a compromise or getting to like a good decision, you know? Some of these things they knew before doing the homework exercises, but others they started to realize after answering some of the questions. I really honestly had a lot of trouble coming up with like a freight, kind of like the cow on a rope thing. I had a lot of trouble coming up with something for myself for this category. And I kind of interrupted Jenny at her desk and said, what do I say? Like, what's the thing I say? 
the easy come, easy go thing is kind of a joke. That's like something that I say jokingly when I buy an expensive thing that I don't need, like my boat. So like I spent all this money on this boat, which is a hobby. It's totally a hobby. And it makes me really happy. And I use it a lot. I put a lot of miles on that boat. And I plan to put a lot more miles on that boat. But like that was a good little chunk of change for something that's while improving my life, like not exactly setting us up for more future financial freedom. So that's really just like a joke phrase. It's not really my like attitude about money. In fact, I don't think that money comes easily. Like we work really hard. We're very conscientious about the way we're growing our business and we're successful. And for both of us, I feel like we're often like so wowed by the money just because we kind of grew up broke and we kind of like can't believe it. But in a way, it's not a joke. I mean, I think it is reflective of kind of your money isn't really a heavy subject for either of us. You know what I mean? Like, Caitlin kind of deals with a lot of life kind of lightly. And even though money, we work hard and she thinks about it, it's not a stressor. It's not like a heavy subject, I feel like. Yeah, I don't I don't carry it like a heavy weight. I treat it seriously. I want to have money and I'm serious about managing our money, but I'm never like, oh, money. Yeah, and I think that goes back to kind of your childhood and how wasn't something that you, like a burden you had to shoulder as a kid. And a lot of times that really forms us in, in the way of money. And so I know for me, it did like, I remember being stressed as a kid, like for, I mean, since I can remember, like, I don't even know of a time when I wasn't stressed about money and it, it wasn't like my mom did it on purpose. It was just like, I knew like, you know, and so I was always stressed out cause I'm a worrier anyway. And so it, it's something that kind of like gets itself into like the roots of like how you feel about it. And even now, like I'm good, but like, I still find those emotions creeping back and I have to, the good thing is that I'm aware that they're there. And so I'm able to say to myself, like, you know, talk myself out of it and talk myself off of the ledge as far as like, you're fine. It's fine. But it's definitely something that like, yeah, you're fortunate to like have had, you know, parents that taught you the values and, and taught you kind and kind of like shielded you, like you said, from like the stresses of it, which is awesome. Like, I think you had a really good combination of like the lessons and kind of like the shielding, which has made it so that you're good at this, you know? Yeah, they did a really good job. Like, like Jenny's saying, like not making it a heavy subject. It was always really matter of fact, like, well, sure, that other family's doing this or they have that and we don't because we don't have that much money. Like it's, it was just always really like, Oh, I'm sorry. It's such a bummer. We don't have as much money. It was never anything like that. It was just always really matter of fact, this is what we have and this is what we can do. And like, we made the most of everything and you know, we got to take trips and I don't know. They just were really good at like handling the subject lightly, even when things were difficult. Like I distinctly remember sometimes like not being able to do things or not being able to participate in things or like go to the movies with friends or whatever, because like they just couldn't give me some money. And, but they always just managed to handle the subject in such a way that it wasn't this like existential thing. It was just, this is what it is. And we're budgeting and that's what everyone does. Everyone has their set pile of money and they budget. Yeah. That's so funny that you gave that example because when I was a kid, my, when my mom, like in high school and stuff, like I kind of wanted, I was like always like a step outside of the like popular kids. 
so like one time, a few times, I'm sure. But like one time I remember wanting to go to the movies and she's like, we just can't afford it. Like you can't go. And I, you know, went to the school with all these like rich kids and I'm like, it was like devastating to me. Like I still remember it. You know what I mean? So it's just so interesting. And you're right. It's about the spin that they put on it. And she must've felt some sort of guilt because of it. And I sensed it. And so that's kind of like, you know, how it affected me. So it's really interesting. And I don't want to say that I wasn't like sometimes embarrassed, right. Of like my clothes or embarrassed because even the times that like I was, I was had the money to go to the movies. I like didn't also have money for snacks and I would be like either like begging to share popcorn and sips of soda from friends or just like puppy dog looking at their stuff. (laughs) But I think though that their attitude around it, like not making it a thing that has like sort of these bad emotions around it, like guilt or all of those kinds of things really made it so that I was just like more motivated than anything. Like I would like to have more than I had growing up and be able to like do that for me and mine, but not in a way of like Jenny said, it's just not heavy. As we start to talk more in depth about Caitlin and Jenny's background and past with money, their current money habits began to spring into the conversation as well. It makes sense. You start to see the correlation between what you saw in the past and how you act in the present. Your money background is one thing and your money personality is another. So next time we talk about their money personalities and why those habits and money relationships are the way they are and what needs they fulfill. I always love hearing how different people have different combinations of personalities and the needs they fulfill. So stay tuned to hear about how Caitlin and Jenny are different yet complementary, which is what I absolutely love about unpacking our money tendencies. Until next time. If you like Love Then Money, do me a favor and tell a friend. Or five. I'm Azure Ashby. And until next time, I wish you both love and money. Take care. Thank you.